next scary movie. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Welcome to the Jumping Scared Podcast. My name's Alex, and I'm joined, as always, by my twin brother, Eric. We are both really excited to be bringing a non-Orthodox podcast to you guys this week, as we are going to be giving a review and discussion of 1985's Return to Oz. This is a strange kind of feature for a horror movie podcast, but Eric, I think... uh, as we talk about this, people who have not seen the movie or have no idea about it are going to kind of maybe start to feel similarly to us. So do you want to kind of talk a little bit about what we're doing today? Yeah, if you get the idea that this Disney sequel to a classic is not fitting for a horror podcast, I feel like you just haven't seen it recently enough because it is utterly horrifying <laughs> and uh, for multiple reasons that we're going to dive into. So this is going to be hopefully a fun change of pace and hopefully a good way to kind of branch out. And I don't think it's a pretty, a very popular movie. Uh, it's a fun one to watch, even if you've got no experience with it, um, with a caveat of it's fun if you go into it wanting to have fun. Don't treat it like some sort of stunning masterpiece and perfect follow-up to Wizard of Oz, but if you're willing to take our recommendation of this movie is quite odd (laughs) and you can have fun with it, you definitely will. Yeah, and so before we get too much into it, this is something I meant to look into more that I didn't end up getting the chance to, but... So did you know that Eric that there's actually 14 Wizard of Oz novels by the original author? I did. Yeah, so as because as I was watching this, I I started googling some of the things they were referencing because they're referencing a lot of things in universe that are completely separate from the original Wizard of Oz. I'm like, did they just make all this up for the movie? And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh, this has a full Wikipedia page, like this one specific you know, geographical area. So I don't know how much of this movie is in canon for the book world and how much is just completely you know, a, a liberty, I guess, uh, for the film. So that would be something that's super interesting. Anyone who's listening, if you've read any more than the original Wizard of Oz novel, if you've read all 14, that would be awesome for to pipe in because, uh, you know, as, as someone who's only seen the Wizard of Oz uh, first movie and then never read any of the books, this is a wild ride and we are very excited to get into it. I did read, doing a little bit of research for this podcast, that this movie wasn't meant to be like a direct sequel and that it was taking bits and pieces from several of the novels from the universe so it wasn't meant to be a direct sequel it was paying homage to the original while also introducing some new characters new ideas and it gave you like very small glimpses into that large uh work of a body of work that alex had just discussed okay okay that that kind of makes sense to me i mean that's kind of what i assumed is that some of it was pulled from it some of it was kind of just you know i don't know directorial inputted or choice but uh yeah so i think we're going to get into this this is a like i said 1985 return to oz uh director walter murch who has a very interesting imdb page because he is an extremely well-respected sound editor in hollywood he's actually won oscars for films like apocalypse now and the english patient so oscar winner in uh, sound editing but then two directorial credits 1985's return to oz and 2000 or sorry not uh, 2000 but uh, 26 years later one single episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars animated series. Those are his two credits for directing, which to me is just absolutely wild. Like, the fact that he had this movie, and then 26 later, 
26 years later, one episode of a TV show, and that's it. And it makes sense based on his success with his like sound editing, but he is actually really well-connected in the uh, Hollywood uh, Hollywood sphere. He was originally actually fired from Return to Oz because they uh, the uh, Disney didn't believe he was going to be able to film everything on time, keep to a schedule. But uh, after being fired, George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, and Steven Spielberg wrote to Disney on his behalf saying, nah, this is your guy. Yeah, so like we said, very well respected for sound editing. Not so much for directing, but this was his only uh, movie that he directed. And we obviously enjoyed it enough to make a podcast about it. And it actually kind of has a bit of a cult following. Uh it's a very strange movie we're going to get into, but yeah. So uh, And one, one more quick note on this uh, director slash editor, Walter Murch. Uh, one interesting tidbit I found is that he believes in only editing while standing up. Huh. <laughs> I did not come across that when I was perusing uh, his IMDb page, so you must have digged a little deeper than I did. Yeah, so I think just maybe he wants, like, that little bit of discomfort you get in your legs, like towards like the end of an editing session, he wants that to come through in his films. Maybe. So like his viewers are just as slightly uncomfortable as he is. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe he was like actually a pioneer of like the standing desk phenomenon that's kind of sweeping the country now. Yeah, he was all about the health way back when in 1985. Yeah, clearly. Okay, so director Walter Murch, this also has uh, kind of two notable stars. We're going to have our Dorothy, who is played by, I'm not sure to pronounce, Faruza Balk. And uh, you might recognize her for roles. Uh, she's in American History X, almost famous and our favorite. She plays Vicki Valancourt in Waterboy, uh, which is a, if you grew up in the kind of late 80s, early 90s, I think Waterboy was a pretty iconic movie for you. So that's probably what you're going to really recognize her from. But the true heads will recognize her from a Masters of Horror appearance <laughs> in the episode Pick Me Up, which is so I don't know if we've discussed Masters of Horror or not. We're going to have podcast. an episode about it. We have not. I don't think we've talked about it almost at all, okay. but we'll have an episode about it. Because this is one I actually didn't remember. So maybe we didn't see it. So the title's Pick Me Up. I know the title. I actually don't think I've seen it either. So we, I've got a synopsis okay, for okay, you. Perfect. In the middle of nowhere, with only a two-lane highway to connect it to anywhere, probably upstate New York, a recently divorced female traveler, who is a passenger on a bus that is broken down, gets caught in a bizarre and violent turf war between serial killers. Wow, that sounds... How did we leave that one? This, okay. this was like a late <laughs> season two, season two of Masters of Horror, um... We've got to, we should just make that on the docket pretty darn soon. Yeah, and so for anyone who doesn't know, Masters of Horror was a, I think they had three seasons. It was essentially one hour horror shorts that each um, each episode was a different horror director. They got some great directors. They had, I think, John Carpenter. They had... Uh, uh, Mika uh, Takeshi Mike. Takeshi Mike. Takeshi Mike. Yeah, they had um, Land, John Landis. They had a, like a lot of really respected horror directors, and then they just did standalone one-hour episodes and very ranging topics. Some that are just completely ridiculous. There's an episode called "The Washingtonians" about a kind of cultist group of people who followed a a uh, history of George Washington where he was a cannibal and they are also cannibals. And but then there's also kind of actually interesting horror uh, horror elements. Uh, the first one we watched was an incident on and off a mountain road about a kind of deformed serial killer who stalks some uh, people who, yeah, who fall off a uh, highway road. Anywho, interesting series, got some good episodes, and we're going to definitely have an episode on 
uh, Masters of Horror, so I'm actually really good you made that uh, connection, because I did not realize that she was also in a Masters of Horror episode. Yes. Okay. So well, she- it's, it's, it's very easy not to notice, since she's only 11 in this movie, which makes perfect sense, because Judy Garland was 17 in the original. Yeah. So why not <laughs> cast somebody who's 11 to play? It looks, it seems like it's like within a year set after because the house it's really recent it's really recent we'll but, talk about this yeah. once we done. we haven't gotten quite there yet um so also the other kind of main main star in in the sense of kind of star power we have piper Laurie who plays uh dorothy's mother in this movie or uh, actually sorry aunt, 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 aunt yeah aunt i'm sorry aunt uh, aunt <laughs> she uh is kind of a little bit of a horror icon as she was margaret white aka carrie's mother in the movie carrie she was also in the faculty which i think both of us have not seen but uh you know and also a really well respected as- uh, actress because she has a bunch of mixed oscar nominations and also all oscar wins so she is a very well uh kind of well-developed actress at this point so uh well, this is also maybe a little bit early in her time, but uh, Return to Oz is probably not one she has on the top of her resume, <laughs> I would say. So. Okay, so a little more information on the movie. Uh, this is a PG-rated movie, and for sure the first PG-rated movie we have covered on this podcast. I, If I were to guess, it will be the only PG-rated movie we will cover on the podcast. Uh, at least for a standalone episode, I would be surprised if we hit any more than this. Well, let's be realistic. If this is the only way this is PG is if like PG stands for pretty gnarly or something that oh, isn't isn't the silent G there. Yeah, I've got I've got wordplay. <laughs> uh, but this this movie, it's P. I guess you it's it's made for kids. It is made for kids in the same way that like. It's such a weird thing. Okay, we'll talk about it as we <laughs> yeah. keep going. Okay, I don't so, want to get stuck up on it. So this is going to be a spoiler-heavy episode. I'm just going to say that because we're going to essentially talk about all the plot points that are essentially horrifying. Uh, we're not going to break down... You know, sometimes podcasts that review movies really just kind of break down the entire plot. We're not really going to do that. We're not going to make it so you can actually understand the entire movie based off our podcast. We're really just going to talk about the things that are terrifying. So... If you're intrigued by how we've set this up, I'd recommend just throwing this movie on. It's it's not so long. It's about 90 minutes, and it's a very interesting ride. It's it's a lot of fun. So I would recommend just watching this movie, come back to the podcast, and then you know catch back up to us at about uh, 10 minutes here and uh, enjoy the rest of the ride because now we're going to kind of get into some spoilers and, and why we find this horrific. So, Eric, do you kind of agree with that assessment? Yeah, I'm ready to go. All right, so um, like I said, we're not going to really go plot by plot, but I will say just to set the scene, so this movie opens with a post-tornado family. We have Auntie M and uh, kind of the father unit here upset with Dorothy as she's not able to sleep and she's not really coping with being back in Kansas as she's kind of obsessed with Oz and they're like, well, Oz isn't real. You have to kind of get rid of the delusion. And that's pretty much sets the scene and kind of delivers the plot going forward. And it's clearly still really fresh from the initial tornado because like their house is missing half of its roof yep. and siding. So like if you so desperately want your niece to move on from this traumatic event, maybe put some roof over her head so she doesn't wake up every goddamn time it rains. It might, that might <laughs> help. That might help. And uh, so, yeah. So um, for me, the horror with this movie really starts early because, so like we said, kind of Dorothy has these, what her family considers delusions of Oz. For her, it's very real. 
Um, it's up to the audience's interpretation. Is it real or not? But she thinks they're real. And her family sees this little clipping, you know, for uh, in the news, like, or in the newspaper, like, oh, we have this doctor's office near us that helps with doing some sort of manipulation of memory and sleep. And so they take her to the doctor's clinic where it's essentially stated that uh, uh, the doctor is going to uh, help with Dorothy not being able to sleep. And it's the way they're going to do it is using electric current and putting electric current through her head to cure her of her dreams, which will also eradicate what she deems as memories from kind of persisting through her mind. Yes, which is always an exciting thing for a adventurous, young-spirited whippersnapper who's only got her aunt and uncle to live with on the prairies of Kansas. So. Yeah, yeah, and so so it, as she's taken to this medical center, um, she is strapped to a gurney, like strapped to a gurney. Her parents have or her guardians have now left. She is alone. Um, there's a pretty unfriendly nurse who is kind of escorting her, and. Uh, and then essentially she's told that uh, the, the the operation, the electric current going her th- through her head is going to remove all of these thoughts and unpleasant memories that are preventing her from living normally. But, you know, at this point, she believes them to be real. So if you can kind of imagine you're a child and something to you very real has happened and then some adult comes and says, we're going to pass this electric current through your head to remove these unpleasant memories, like... <laughs> like we watched this when we were little and that, sure. that it's like an involuntary medical tr- procedure that essentially is completely manipulating who you are which that that terrified me like her going to this clinic was just and can we can we build up this nurse a little bit she is this nurse who she's probably in her early mid 40s maybe yeah. late 40s dressed in an all black gown that looks like it came straight out of the late 1800s of England. She's in a hospital, Alex, and she has no respect for the patient's sanitation whatsoever. She's wearing this flowing gown. I'm clearly picking a dark color just to be more intimidating. She's got the long black hair to match. She looks legitimately like uh, somebody from a like a Disney villain. She looks like the stepmother from Cinderella. Yeah, yeah, that's that's accurate. Um so to kind of add to the terror here, so in this facility, as she's being kind of wheeled around, you're kind of getting a mix of halluc- maybe hallucinations, maybe actually kind of real magical encounters, but to Dorothy, they're real. And there's screaming patients all around her, and uh, a girl who kind of comes into it to try to help her essentially tells her that, oh, these were damaged patients from the procedure, and they're screaming because they've been locked in the cellar, so nobody finds out about them. <laughs> This is the procedure that the young girl Dorothy is about to get. And there's this other girl telling her, oh, these are people who had lives that they were damaged and now are locked in the cellar and screaming. And kudos kudos to Dorothy. At this point, she has shown basically no sign of resistance. She is like She's along so for the ride. Calm. Why is she so calm? I, there's it's, it's it's a question that baffles the mind, Alex, and one that honestly I don't think either of us are qualified to answer. Yeah. So upon you know I'm looking at my notes here, and upon like the 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 notice of the when the girl said, "Oh, these were patients who were damaged and locked in the cellar," I put dot dot dot. Again, this is a PG rated movie. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So so essentially at this point is where we're kind of getting into the kind of development of the plot and getting more into actually what an Oz movie is, is then we're kind of transitioning. They run out of the escape from the facility and she floats down a river. And now we're back in Oz and this is kind of going to get back into the horror. And 
for me when I was little, I think it hit me harder, but still a little bit as an adult. There's something that, that certainly plays into like sadness and fear when you have desolation of like a once magical or once really idyllic place. So we're, we're transported to Oz and most people who have seen Wizard of Oz when you're little, you kind of picture this really fantastical place, the yellow brick road, the you know, munchkin land and all this like really kind of beautiful scenery. And then everything is just destroyed. You have carnage everywhere. You have desolate kind of wastelands and it's just, and to Dorothy too, she's like, what happened to this like where are these people what like and it's just it's kind of like you you expect you expect one thing and then it just completely turns it on its head and i think that's in a way it's kind of horrific you know it's it's extra horrific because initially in oz or in the wizard of oz dorothy escaped from like a troubling situation and then was yeah thrust in this beautiful exact environment but now she's in like an extremely troubling situation. Nobody believes her about Oz in the first place. She's about to get this basically a lobotomy <laughs> procedure that she's able to escape from. And now, instead of being greeted by thousands of little people screaming your praises, she is thrust into this desert where the sand would evaporate you. The yellow brick road is torn to shreds. They see their house in complete disarray. She even points to her chicken, which somehow made the travel with her, yeah. Belina. Well, which will be probably name dropping at some point later. We in this will movie. name drop Alina. She she is a crucial for, for plot some, point. For some reason, a very important character that gained sentient in Oz. But uh, and so like everything is it's honestly this movie is just massively depressing, especially it through really the first is. half. Well, I think really for children too, because like when, when the first time we saw this, like I wouldn't say we were like fanatics about Wizard of Oz, but like we saw the movie Wizard of Oz, and like I think most kids who see it like like it i mean they, they really like the, the world of the wizard of oz and then you're like expecting return to oz okay cool we'll go back and then it's just it's like you're going to dune <laughs> it's like it's just like a desolate terrible kind of situation and you're like well this sucks <laughs> I, I think like for some reason the return to oz like instantly became a meme between you me and my sister <laughs> and like every like i don't know every maybe 15 months like one of us would get that little sly look on our face for like should we get Return to Oz? <laughs> <laughs> just like start giggling. Yeah. Because we know how like ludicrous it is as a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, so this came out in 85. I would hazard to guess we saw this when we were about seven. We saw this pretty young for the first time. I would, I would make Harbor a guess that we saw this movie more than anybody else in the country who didn't actually own it. I'm like, uh, oh, that, that was a really deep. I'm trying to trying to process that. Uh, that that might be accurate. I I feel like I can count probably four or five times that we saw this movie. We saw it a lot, a weird amount of times. Just a couple okay. movies like that. You find favorites at the local library back when the VHS tapes you could rent like a certain amount per week. I think we were started at two, then you got up to five. Robin Hood Men in Tights weirdly was another one that we that watched from a very young age. Did not understand a lot of the humor, but we still liked it a lot. No, yeah, that was before we understood what satire was. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. Anywho, we're getting sidetracked. So, like we were saying, desolate kind of wasteland of Oz, and Dorothy is following this yellow brick road to go to the Emerald City, and so this is where we kind of encounter one of the weirdest, creepiest strangest kind of adversaries that I can really think of because as she's approaching the Emerald Cities, the Emerald City is kind of just in tatters and she sees some graffiti that says, beware the wheelers. 
And if you before you see anything, you start to hear some hooting and howling, and you see hear some kind of like screeching. And all of a sudden, you see these creatures who are quasi-men, but they're men who are constantly on all fours, but their hands and legs, or hands and feet, rather, are replaced by wheels. So they are on wheels, and they were like, kind of like running slash wheeling like, uh, like wild animals. And they've got these helmets on where they're pretty much always having their face like very forced down, and their helmet is like a mock face, and yeah. then they'll look up, and they look like these, uh, they look like the, uh, the bully from like Brink 2, like all of them do. <laughs> <laughs> or Brink 1. There's no Brink 2. Who would make a Brink 2? Just Brink. I was really confused. Just Brink. Yeah, I was confused while looks, you were no, no. number dropping Yeah, Brink. it looks like the the villain from Brink. Like, oh, I mean, they're all soft, soft guys. But, like, they look absolutely terrifying. It's basically if you could take the flying monkeys from the original film and say, you know what? These were pretty scary, but they're, like, a monster. Let's bring this more realistic, make them human, but not make detract from the scariness factor Take away the fact that they can walk on two legs and make them crawl around on their legs with wheels, Alex. Wheels. And at a certain point, we do realize once one of them is captured, they are essentially like men who seemingly have been like forced into this what, wheel, wheeler, wheeler persona. I don't think they were always wheelers. I, I, I don't know. It's hard to really say. Honestly, the saddest thing about this, picture what would happen were they to actually attack somebody. They would just bash them with their heads. <laughs> they can't, they've got wheels on their hands. I'm picturing like one of those draft fights where they're just like swinging their heads into their adversary. It's it's not a well th- well thought out villain, but honestly, maybe that's just due to the lack of menacing threats that existed in the land of Oz. Yeah. Maybe that's all they could work with, and they were like, you know what, we need we need some some roller derby uh, flame outs. But take away their arms, give them some extra wheelies, <laughs> call them the wheelers, and give them some cool-ass helmets. Yeah, and so I think initially they're extra creepy, too, because their their means of communication is really just laughing and screeching. They Essentially, <laughs> essentially you get some communication with, with words from them, but like Dorothy is essentially surrounded by these wheelers. They're laughing and screeching. She's in the Emerald City, which she associates with being this kind of beautiful, magical place. And she's all alone besides uh, Belina, obviously the chicken. Um, and it's just like so creepy and so anti what you'd expect to be there. So like it just really feels it's more of that like uh, disconnect with what you'd expect and what you're getting. So I think especially the younger you view this or even if like you would really associate with the first movie, it's just complete, complete disregard for kind of how that world was set up. So it really just is. I don't know, you know, there's something that plays into that for me. There's one thing we didn't mention that I feel like we have to mention just because it was so hilarious to me. Uh, Right before she actually shows up to the wheelers, she realizes she's hungry and she finds a tree. And (laughs) this tree is growing straight up lunch pails. (laughs) With different things per pail. (laughs) Yeah, so in one of the pails she picks, she gets a ham sandwich. (laughs) Yeah, like we said, we weren't going to go over the entire plot, but that was an interesting enough sidebar. I agree with that. Um, so Dorothy ends up escaping from the Emerald City with the help of a new, uh, TikTok robot kind of sentry deal. Um, she makes her way with a wheeler escort to find the Princess Mumbi. And this is where things take a turn from a little dark to straight up horror movie because Princess Mumbi, so she's kind of this middle-aged woman who lives 
seemingly alone. She doesn't really live alone, though, Eric, does she? No, you could argue that she actually has got uh, quite the uh, quite the crew keeping her company. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that that's, uh, I think, an undersell here. So Princess Mombi is a character who has the ability to essentially remove her head at any one point and trade it with a plethora of options because she has a corridor where there's glass display cases throughout the corridor with different heads completely different looks completely different potentially personalities and memories that's even mentioned later like oh this head did this to me but the other head you know doesn't know about it so as long as as long as this head is off i'm fine which is just also kind of terrifying it's like a person who isn't really a person because one head controls the body and the body is completely separate yeah it's like it's like the con sort of like a, the concept they used in split except for that was rated r and this is a goddamn children's <laughs> movie and she doesn't just change personalities she takes her head clean off thank god it's clean <laughs> there's yeah. no it's not doesn't they have a severed look it's just basically a uh, clean pull clean pop what clean one, pop. one thing i'd like to also mention with this movie i think the visuals and kind of the i think they are pretty good for the time overall <laughs> overall not everything but overall i think they're pretty good i think i think the character design leaves a lot to be desired in the end half with a lot of the characters but i think the visuals are mostly pretty good Eric is making a face like he wants to hit me for saying this, but I mean, there, there, there's a saying that different strokes for different folks. So I will just chalk that up to a difference of opinion because I, I have had some things marked down that we haven't touched upon. That I can't believe you've said that to be honest <laughs> okay anywho we're gonna move forward so also an interesting thing when she removes her head replaces it we actually see that the head she replaces it with is the same head as the nurse from the electroshock therapy place in the beginning so kind of a little bit of a parallel from the original Wizard of Oz where her uncles kind of filled in the roles of the good characters now and also um kind of the whatever the woman who's uh gulch something gulch who got bit by toto who becomes a witch mm -hmm. now we have this negative character becoming a negative character in oz so that kind of also adds to the continuation of the terror from the original aspect of and, part it's, of it. and that's just like the depressing part because yeah. it's like okay she truly is just in her inside her head again yeah that, she's yeah. this girl who's so troubled and she can't get outside of her head. It's just she's recreating these memories she's seen in real life, giving them new personas, giving them new personalities, and creating this magical world of Oz in which they can coexist in and create this life where she can feel like she can have adventures. And it's it's sad. Yeah. It's depressing. And I'd like to kind of throw two things at you here, Eric, because there's two kind of almost throwaway, throwaway lines they had here. One was that... She essentially just said, like, you know, Dorothy's like, oh, where'd you get all the head, or where'd you get all the heads? And somebody else answers her, oh, did you, did you see the, the, the girls who were turned to stone outside? And uh, Dorothy's like, oh, yeah, I saw them. It's like, well, it's from them. It's like, wait, 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 wait. So, so she took the heads from these girls, like these, like these dancing girls who are now stoned, but they, but they don't have heads? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so she stole the heads of these girls who are now petrified stone bodies without heads, and then their heads are just kind of chilling in a corridor in glass cases, but also are kind of controlled by one sort of together mind. 
Her, her brain must be in her belly. I don't know. That That is horrifying to me. Another thing, too, that she tells Dorothy, essentially, like, oh, once you get a few more years older, I'm going to take your head, too. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to let you plump up a little bit like I'm the witch in the Hansel, Hansel and, and Gretel tale. What, what are we doing here? What, what what are we doing here in a PG movie? Maybe she just wanted to wait six years so she'd be the same age that Judy Greer was in the original. <laughs> Fire. This is parental guidance suggested. <laughs> not required, not advised. This does not say any sort of age. This says parental guidance suggested. Yeah, honestly, if if you watch this with your parents and your parents didn't shut that off, your parents didn't care about you. They didn't. This is a movie where they got it for your kids because it's like Return to Oz. Yeah, I'll grab it. It's PG. They, they go on a date night and they let you watch this movie. And they come back to you rocking back and forth on your bed thinking about the repercussions of <laughs> trying to create this adventurous, psycho- psychological, fun, kid-like uh, imagination. And you uh, you end up scarred from it. Yeah, a uh, really small sidebar here. So this, we're getting introduced to a new character. Uh, Dorothy meets a kind of jack-o'-lantern slash stickman hybrid pumpkin head named jack and th- I, I i wrote here in my notes i'd like to incorporate this insult into my repertoire because i forget who said it actually but somebody goes what is this a man or a melon <laughs> i just i just i love that as an insult um but we can't we also can't bring up this character without like one of his first thing revelations being that Mombi killed his mom and took her head and then he goes hey dorothy can i call you mom <laughs> he calls her mom the rest of the movie and so it's essentially like a, a pumpkin it's a pumpkin head stick man who has the kind of emotional capacity of like a four-year-old yeah which which isn't his fault he, no uh, he, and he actually i think he's a pretty brave pretty strong character for that mental capacity but yeah he's like i'm associating this little girl with my mom because my mother was killed in front of me and i was created for fun it seems kind of like they were trying to replicate the type of scarecrow character a little bit with that personality but i also read apparently he is very much a character in the oz canon Mm -hmm. he shows up in the later novels so okay so then uh another kind of aspect with this so Dorothy then tries to escape this castle, the princess's castle, and to, to do that, she steals a key, and as she's sneaking about, she accidentally wakes the heads up, and these are all severed heads in their containers, who then all kind of scream in unison at her, which also, even as an adult, was, like, really creepy and unsettling, but as a child, like, I... I had nightmares about that. Yeah, this was mind-numbingly haunting as an adult. It was watching. Bru- it was pretty brutal. Um, and then you also right, right after that, so then you have the sleeping princess mommy body who is headless, and then she's just like meandering about trying to find the right head she wants, and these heads are screaming in the corridor, and you have this headless body just walking past Dorothy to go grab a head. Oh. And all of these characters that Dorothy meets along the way are not entirely useless, but just like the <laughs> smallest smidgen of a step up from not totally useless. They've got this TikTok robot who consistently like, falls asleep or he loses his ability to perform actions or to think. You've got this Jack four-year-old uh, pumpkin, pumpkin head. head. And then they find this moose head, which is a head of a moose <laughs> can, can we at least be respectful and call him his name the gump <laughs> <laughs> the 
To be fair, though, when they pour the uh, the magic dust on him, he does gain the ability to talk. He, he gains does. the ability to he can fly even, while he attached can, to a couch. Yeah, and they he, give him he some fern, wings. He has fern wings. Yeah, so this is a weird character. So Gup, too. Gup was living his best life with Dorothy. Yeah, let's be was. real. He, although, yeah. So so then essentially how they escape the castle is the Gump on the the sofa slash moose head slash fern wings flies them out, and the Wheelers then are sent to chase them. Also here, this was like probably one of the smallest but like really huge ramifications of the movie to me was the wheelers were chasing them and they accidentally enter the i think it's the deadly desert one of them goes slightly too far and like eric said earlier if you touch the sand as soon as the wheeler who essentially is like a human with wheels (laughs) i mean it, it is like a man he touches it his whole body turns to sand and then it just falls apart yes that, that person was just killed. It's the most high-stakes game of don't let your feet touch the ground. <laughs> yeah, the floor is lava, or the floor is a corrosive substance that converts your skin into the same substance that it is. Like, it was literally a person converted to a sand, and then it, like, it fell a little bit, and it just, like, cut in half, and it, like, just collapsed. That begs the question, do you think the desert existed? What happened first, the desert or the man? <laughs> the old age-old question. Yeah, so that was, like, a throwaway thing, too. Like, there's a lot of things that are just kind of, like, there... That if you think about for like more than two seconds, you're like, wait, that's that's like way worse than anything that happened. Oh, like what what's like the worst thing that happens in the original? Okay, I mean a house falls on a witch, but after that, it's not bad. She always is like the witch is wicked witch is making threats, but she never owns up yeah. to those threats. She's unaccomplished. Uh, she catches a scarab the crow on fire briefly. Yeah. She gets melted, but like she was also super mean, so And that was just water. It was just water. If you're gonna get melted by water, then you didn't deserve to be a successful witch in the first place. You kept a bucket right next to you. What, what? are you doing? Yeah, have some. Are you trying to put out fires? Like you you probably could put out fires with your hands. Or your broom. Sweep in action, get that airflow going. Mm-hmm. Alright. <laughs> Anywho, so yeah. Um to me, so now we're kind of encountering the final act of the movie. Where we we all throughout the movie, we've kind of been presented with this rock adversary that we kind of know is related to the Gnome King, who is the kind of big bad in this movie. It's the person who took over the Emerald City. Um, he also has this kind of rock slave who can turn into any rock and see for him. And so th- there's something kind of creepy for me, like when you have an adversary who kind of is all seeing, all knowing, can and. Uh, because it's kind of like the eye of Sauron. It feels like you're always watched. And especially Dorothy did not realize she was always being watched. So throughout the movie, you have these sequences where this king is being uh, told about the progress, about everything that's happening. And Dorothy's just like moving along on her own. She has no idea what's happening. So to me, that's also kind of creepy and, and on its own. I don't know if you felt similarly, but... Nah, I don't know if I felt similar. I can understand that perspective, but like I instantly got it in my head that these guys just kind of look like the gargoyles, and I was thinking more about the gargoyles and how cool of a show that was. So uh, (laughs) that kind of took me out of that mindset. Yeah, okay, I guess the extra creepy thing with the Gnome King, too, is that he uh, can transform living beings into inanimate inanimate objects, which, I mean, (laughs) I, I mean... If you've ever, uh, if there's ever anybody else who's like claustrophobic or has kind of a fear of not being able to control your body, yeah, picture being torn, turned into an ornament, a light fixture, a trophy. This is happening to like living, breathing creatures because of this rock gnome king. One thing I think we have to point out 
as we pretty pretty much right away once Dorothy meets up with said Gnome King, we find out his motivation. I think it's actually a pretty understandable motivation, in which case like he's act- acting the way he is. So basically his premise is that they built up the Emerald City by taking all the precious minerals from the cave in which I dwe- dwelt, dwelled, dwelt, dwelled, 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 I, yeah. I took shelter I, in. <laughs> uh, so they took the precious metal, uh, precious minerals and metals and they were mine. They were mine and they took them and they didn't deserve them. So I took them back. Granted, that is from one perspective. We don't know how accurate that information is. We don't know if it was some sort of shared uh entity that was overlooking the ownership of said precious metals but from his perspective i don't know he's made of rock you would maybe make make sense that he would kind of think that those are his maybe they took him they mined him out chipped away at some of his friends chipped at his arms chipped at his legs chipped his chipped at his house and built up emerald city and he was just seething below the ground waiting to get his precious metals back i mean can you understand if that's the case why he would be as seemingly vindictive as he is seemingly as controlling as power hungry as evil if you will i don't disagree with your logic at all and i actually think it's pretty compelling the the point you're making and the only thing I'm trying to argue is that he's horrific regardless. <laughs> this is what this podcast is about, is the horror. And he he can be justified all he wants, but he is still a terrifying adversary for Dorothy because he then makes her and her compadres play a game. The scarecrow, we learned, has been turned into a ornament. But before we get there, one thing that this I could never wrap my mo- head around in this movie... Basically, every character that's non-human is just a massive bastardization <laughs> in this version. So, like, uh, obviously, we had real people playing the Scarecrow. We had real people playing the Cowardly Lion. Yeah, that was rough. And then we get to this movie, and when I heard you say the visuals on this movie were good. In the end, it really lets it go because, yeah, so you have the lion and the lion and the tin man are both in the emerald city and they're both turned to stone the lion is literally a lion the tin man is like a cartoonized version of the tin man and we're gonna get to the scarecrow but the scarecrow if you haven't i mean just i would say if you're not gonna watch the movie at least google return to oz scarecrow because it just looks ridiculous but have you seen like those videos on youtube where like either a graphic designer or a toy maker will bring like a child's drawing to life (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh that is so on point that is exactly that is so what it looks point. like yeah that's a really good comparison um yeah so this this um i love that comparison so this really weird cartoonized scarecrow has been turned into a ornament the scarecrow was also revealed to has been the previous king of oz um and he had been turned into an ornament after the gnome king took control so dorothy and her compadres are tasked with the kind of the well i guess tasked with the objective of this game where the gnome king says you have three choices three chances to pick the correct ornament anytime you touch it and lock it in by saying oz i will reveal if you're right or wrong um there's they're thrust into this room with probably hundreds of ornaments and if they everybody picked wrong up until dorothy except for um i I want so you might be forgetting this quote i don't think so go go for it though so to me this is like almost traumatizingly sad okay um so you have jack the pumpkin head man um and when they're kind of presented with this game jack tells dorothy well oh well 
Being an ornament will be the hardest for you, Dorothy. Since I don't eat or sleep, I won't miss them. Oh, yeah. Yikes. This, this, this movie has got absolutely no uh, no respect for your feelings. No. As a kid, it's like, oh, yeah. I think it's maybe supposed to identify, like, you put yourself in Dorothy's shoes. Like, oh, yeah, you can't imagine what it would be like to not be able to eat or sleep. But then you have this character who's like, yeah, I'm a pumpkin with sticks, but I'm also alive. Oh, th- that that to me like when i heard that i was just like what <laughs> well to be honest do you know who else has no respect for your feelings dorothy <laughs> when it comes time for her to choose her ornament so we've got this absolute brilliant uh, intellectual play uh, so the second to last pl- uh, person to go and choose the ornaments was tiktok yeah. he fakes like he's out of his uh, action role and she has to like dial him up and she comes in there and dorothy's like oh no you ran out of your action i thought i wound you up and he's like play it cool dorothy i've got a plan <laughs> and then uh he reveals i've only got one guest left look at me if i get it wrong to see what ornament i turn into that might give you a hint you know what the first thing Dorothy does after she fails a guess? She closes her goddamn eyes <laughs> and spins, spins in a circle. And just walks randomly. And rightfully so, she bumps into a table because she's playing it like a, a ditz. Yeah, that 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 to me also because yeah, that was the only lot like smart thing they tried to get up on the Gnome King was the play by TikTok, and then Dorothy just threw it out. She's like, oh. Mm, I, I didn't see him <laughs> oh i guess i'll just spin and and guess randomly yeah of course ends up getting it right starts turning her friends from ornaments back into their actual selves um in this in this sequence we also get a pretty terrifying little sidebar where um we have princess moni or Mombi, sorry who is uh essentially riding a sleigh pulled by the wheelers and they're like sled excuse me sled dogs she is whipping them whipping the ever-loving shit out of them (laughs) she really is and it's like these are like people she's like just whipping and she looks horrifying can you imagine how hard it would be to be a wheelie i picture it being like the dogs when you put the little shoes on their feet and they walk like the clomp 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 but even harder than that because if you picture okay can you picture wearing rollerblades oh yeah i'm bad at it yeah but then picture always having to lean forward and your hands being (laughs) also wheels what are you using for traction where's your traction oh my god my hamstrings are not uh, loose enough to actually it sounds horrible um yeah so yeah we get that big confrontation between mombi who clearly is just She's like the 1B to the 1A of the Gnome King, but Gnome King is like 10 times better than her. So he's like, oh, you... She was like, oh my god, Dorothy's coming. And then he's just like looking at her all stone face. <laughs> and uh, she goes, I suppose you already know this. And he goes, of course I know this. I know everything. I am the Gnome King. And then as that happens, we hear Dorothy, <laughs> ah, and all of her friends come back and he goes, what? yeah and then he locks her in a cage and she's like no yeah and so then uh here we kind of get the transformation the rock the gnome king has kind of been transforming between being like a face on a cliff to being an actual stone man to being a giant stone man he i mean he essentially can kind of take the form of rock so after dorothy's kind of succeeded here he's really transformed into a very massive rock creature probably like 
50, 60 feet high. But did you notice before that, it seemed like the more people that failed, the more human he turned into. It's like the, uh, it's almost like the Tom Riddle in the diary turning into an actual person as moving from the book. The the more people he kind of took the essence. I like that. So also a point to make here, we kind of mentioned earlier that the Princess Mombi is also played by the same actress who played the nurse from the electroshock therapy place. The voice and also the physical kind of more human representative of the Gnome King was played by the main doctor from this clinic too. So this is another kind of classic Dorothy instance of projecting her previous kind of uh, experiences onto either her positive or negative uh, compatriots. So this kind of plays more into the, is it real? Is it a fictional hallucination? Uh, We're going to get into that a little bit later, I think, because we're going to finish up what the terrifying aspects of this movie. So... Uh, the Gnome King grows huge, about 60 feet high, starts trying to eat Dorothy and her friends. Unfortunately for him, <laughs> something that we hinted on earlier is that Belina... Belina, she's coming back. Belina, for some reason, we get this idea really early on that the Gnome King doesn't like chickens. They are forbidden. Yes, apparently uh, they, the, the one of the servants of the Gnome King says, Oh, Dorothy Gale is back to Oz. And she has a chicken, and the gnome king is like, a chicken! <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and kind of throughout this, then, uh, the servant of the gnome king says, oh, the chicken has been removed, and the gnome king is like, excellent, bring Dorothy to me. But what they didn't realize is that Belina was residing in Jack's pumpkin head, because it's a little bit safer there. I mean, she probably can't walk too long. I don't know what the... Uh, what the lifespan is for a chicken's endurance, but it seems like it's probably not too high. Yeah, they probably think, covered a couple miles. Yeah, so. the, the stamina I don't think is, is so high. And so, yeah, chilling in the pumpkin head. And as Jack is then being dangled in front of the uh, Gnome King's mouth about to be devoured, you have Belina start to cluck her beak off, and she lays an egg out of the kind of top of the jack-o'-lantern where the normal top of the pumpkin would be. The egg falls into the Gnome King's mouth, and that just does it for him. He disintegrates, he destructs himself, and self-destruction, and yeah. I like beforehand, he just like, for some reason he thinks it's like crucial or imperative to note to Dorothy don't you know eggs are poison? And then collapses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you have all the like kind of rock subsidiaries going poison, poison, poison as they're like retreating into the rock face and the rocks become normal again. And so I get it. I mean, I get why they had to do it. I mean, the whole they couldn't beat the Gnome King by themselves, so they had to invent this absolutely ludicrous loophole, bringing in this character. Uh, Thumbelina, who's a very Belina, poor, just yeah, Belina, who's a very poor replacement for Toto. If I'm being realistic, we didn't talk about this. I was furious Toto by gets the a fact shaft. that they actually included Toto in this movie and then just disregarded him and replaced for this talking chicken. Yeah, it's they, uh, the fact that they if they didn't include Toto, I would be so much more neutral about it. But they brought Toto in. And Toto even chased after her as the family was taking her off to the medical clinic. And Toto was, like, barking and crying. And she like, stay, Toto! Like, oh. go home! Go to your home, Toto! <laughs> yeah, that... Don't want you anymore! Yeah. Um, so, as this movie wraps up, Oz kind of restores itself to its former glory. The Emerald City wraps up. All these people who are turned to stone become themselves again. And then we get uh, taken back to Kansas, where... To me, so earlier we were talking about kind of the terror of this medical facility 
And a lot of it you could assume is a hallucination because Dorothy is being helped by this kind of magical girl who, who seems to go through walls and seems to be just... And hospitals are scary in general. Hospitals are scary. But as soon as she comes back, she comes. You know, she's found by her uh, uncle, I believe, and we see the nurse from the medical facility being taken back in a like a barred stagecoach, yeah, stagecoach. And so she's obviously being like arrested. So you assume everything about the hospital that was said, like the failed experiments in the basement. It's, it's just true, and it's like, oh, no, but she's taken away, so it's fine. So do you think we're definitely okay to make that assumption, or do you think it could just be like the whole situation where they came in because they lost the kid, and then they discover everything? Do you know what I'm saying? Like how in Holes they got busted because they lost Stanley Yelnat, and then they realized the whole thing was kind of a sham. Like this, they probably came in, lost yeah. the kid, she oh, was obviously. already in deep water, and then they discover everything. Yeah, I would assume okay. so, but... She definitely didn't get arrested solely for losing the kid. Yeah, because they found the kid. It was she. Yeah. She didn't try to lose the kid. She chased after her. She even got in the river. She actually looked like a super caring guardian. She jumped into like a river in a storm to try to chase after like this girl who had seemingly just running away. And in her Catherine era gown from British Britain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like to me though, that, that that's just like a huge end of movie like confirmation of the the what to me was the most like legitimate most terrifying was this medical facility where they're essentially doing forced lobotomies of removing memories removing kind of different things you're 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 believing and thinking and then this nurse is is essentially revealed to be complicit in this cover-up or uh, operation where there's these failed patients who are screaming constantly in the basement that's absolutely horrifying to me Oh, yeah, I agree. And it's, I wonder, I mean, so this is set in 1898. I don't know if you realize the exact yeah, timetable. I, I looked that up around. How, how does this this poor off family who can't even fix their GD roof find out about this clinic that seemingly is like a four-hour buggy ride away? Yeah, I I think they I think they saw something in the in like the newspaper. If if I remember correctly, it's now it's been like a two weeks since I Dude, saw it. A week or leave two. that place a bad Yelp review. <laughs> two stars. <laughs> they lost my child, and the woman was arrested as I left. But found her eventually. Yes, two stars. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that kind of wraps up the movie in general. Um. Obviously, we've shared some some aspects of, of which we found horrific, and overall, I mean, it's just such a bleak such a negative experience that like it's really hard to feel anything even after the seemingly happy ending where oz gets restored and dorothy's brought back to kansas and she she knows that she was right and that everything is okay it doesn't feel like that i don't feel satisfied after finishing this movie i i mean do you feel any different eric I don't know. This movie had a lot of good one-liners. There's actually a couple that I want to bring back that I forgot to touch on really quickly. Uh, so there was a point when we mentioned towards the end of the film where uh, Princess Mombi meets up with the Gnome King. And initially she like bows down and then he goes lower. And so she like lays face down on the ground like as a parallel line. And then he goes lower. And then she like looks up at him and goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so she's literally touching her, her nose and her chin to the ground. And he just goes lower. <laughs> Which I, I, remember, I, I remember really laughing at that. I forgot to write it down. but And then there was one more scene that I thought was funny. Uh, for, like right before people start picking, um, picking ornaments 
towards the end of the movie there he serves them a meal of melted metals yeah because that is a very very realistic thing for a child to drink she's drinking melted silver yeah, so yeah, <laughs> which has never gone wrong yeah. before so, for anybody yeah so so our, our gnome king is literally sipping melted sir- silver out of a out of a rock so, cup yes and dorothy's also nibbling on the hidden snacks there which are assuming they're just There's a limestone cake limestone cake yeah so literally she's just chewing on rocks and be like oh thank you <laughs> thank you gnome king yeah, so, I, I mean, at this point, not a ton much more to say because I think we did a pretty good job of really trying to hit each of the part as we got to it. But if, if you if you listen to this podcast and have not seen this movie, if you don't grasp why we decided to cover this on a horror movie podcast, obviously, if you look at the genre on IMDb or if you look at this movie, it's not going to be listed as a horror. It's going to be listed as a children's movie, maybe a fantasy movie. It's because Disney controls the media. Uh yeah about that but uh i mean it, it's it's just not what you necessarily think of as a t- typical horror movie but there's so many like terrifying and in bleak and negative elements that really just i i i don't know if i'd call it i mean it's, it's hard to really just say this is a horror movie but i think it definitely fits in with the themes of a lot of horror movies and i think it fits in pretty well with other things we've talked about on this podcast yeah it's like um It'd be like if Homeward Bound, if uh, like at the end, like it's like a much more harrowing story. But then at the end, uh, the pets come back to an abandoned house. Like you get absolutely, this is a bad comparison. I was going to say if like a hunter like, like accidentally shot them. them like as they were running up to their owners. Yeah, like, like the, the when the, the dog Otis gets quilled, he actually just like passes away from complications from he, it. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Oof. Oh, this, is, this isn't something <laughs> I wanted to think about today. Um, yeah, but... Man, like we said, even if you've like listened to this, this is an interesting watch regardless. It's it's such a strange, the visuals are so weird to kind of movie that I think it's still kind of worth experiencing and still kind of just worth like, huh, this is a sequel to The Wizard of Oz. Like getting that kind of thought process out, it's just it's just really a unique experience. And uh, we hadn't, I have not seen this in quite a while, but I remember definitely, like Eric said, we watched this quite a bit in our youth and the stuff that came back to me, I was like, okay, it is actually as creepy and as off-putting as, as I remembered. And I understand why it was made. I mean, why not try to cash in on the original success that was made 46 years earlier? <laughs> yeah. at, which at the time, until, um, what movie was it? It was the in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most time between a sequel and the original until... A movie in 1996 beat it, and it was. Uh, I have no idea. Bambi two. Bambi two. Oh, Another okay. Disney movie. Mm, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, like Eric said earlier, um, actually, kind of getting excited now about a future episode about the Masters of Horror. So we got some more stuff planned in the future. Um, it's going to be easier to do these more collaborative, more uh, kind of banter-filled episodes now that we're together. I think uh, hopefully the. I think quality of interaction is going to keep going up because it's so much easier when you're in person. You know, when you're just doing a video call, it's a bit harder to kind of get that close interaction. We can, we don't talk over each other as much and we kind of don't have these uh, lulls in conversation as much as we're waiting for the other person to respond. So Masters of Horror coming up. We've got some more ideas. We've got some, uh, Eric's got a fun episode for Halloween time, which obviously not so close, but uh, 
getting excited because there's there's so much more content to review. There's some great movies coming out. We still got uh, Midsummer coming out by Ari Aster. Uh, Aster. We've got it in September. It Chapter Two in September. Some more theater movies we're gonna see for sure. And uh, yeah, we're uh, super excited to continue here. We are really excited. And the one thing I will add on to what Alex said about uh, us being in person being quite a bit nicer. One thing you can't appreciate on this podcast, especially that we're doing it in person, is the amount of gesticulating Alex does for an audience of nobody. He talks. <laughs> I, I, he it's talks. An, it's an audience of one. He talks with his hands like a puppeteer more than anybody I've ever seen, and uh, it's it's it's. I, you get your point across, and even you get me to do it a little bit. It feels like I'm uh, juggling See, for it, no reason. I, I feel like it comes through with for the audience. I think they're appreciating the way I talk because if I wasn't using my hands, I don't think they'd quite get the intonation that I'm. Actually actually going for so uh you know this is a part of the podcast that i just really appreciate and uh yeah so we have had a great time reviewing uh talking about and just discussing return to oz so hopefully you guys have either checked this out previously are interested to check it out or just enjoyed the, the review that we had today so until next time this has been jumping scared thanks for tuning in to the jumping scared podcast have any questions comments want to share your horror movie opinions with us feel free to reach us at jumping scared podcast on twitter or by email jumping scared at gmail.com see you next episode